because of our background and because of the way that we see the landscape and we see our downtowns and we see the way communities should be developed to create a sustainable environment, we could then have that foresight to reprogram public spaces for outdoor dining, um, look at how we could shift gears for 15 minutes parking spots. It's almost bringing to bear some of the great cool things that planners have come up with that just never became common language. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the APA podcast. My name is Emily Pozzi, Public Affairs Manager at APA. The coronavirus pandemic has strained communities in ways once unimaginable just months ago. Small businesses, which account for 44% of all U.S. economic activity, have been hit especially hard. In Massachusetts, community planners are stepping up in big ways to find relief for businesses that are the lifeblood of local communities. Joining me today to discuss how planners are helping local small businesses navigate change by preparing for a more resilient future are Angela Cleveland, AICP, Director of Community and Economic Development for the City of Amesbury, Massachusetts, and Matthew Coogan, AICP, Chief of Staff for the City of Newburyport, Massachusetts. Angie and Matt, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start today by turning back the calendar to March for our listeners. Will you both briefly describe what your respective cities, small business communities looked like before the pandemic hit? So Newburyport uh, is a coastal community uh, located north of Boston. Um, it's a historic seaport community. It has a uh, downtown. Uh, a lot of the buildings trace back to the early 1800s uh, federal style uh, community. So it has a great downtown um, that has lots of local shops and restaurants um, we're also very, we also have a beach uh, with located within the city as well. So um, our economy is 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 largely driven, at least our downtown economy, by tourism. So back in March, we were beginning to you know ramp up for the summer season, which starts usually around Memorial Day. Um, so that's kind of where we were in in March, getting ready for our for our season. Um, we also have a business park as well. Um, that's fairly sizable and that was humming along um, going back back pre-COVID as well. So um, mostly a tourism economy um, with some uh, local uh, smaller uh, corporations. Um, and like I said, we're located north of Boston. So we do have a lot of commuters that go to Boston, but we're also fairly uh, located to New Hampshire as well in the Portsmouth area. So we do have a lot of commuter uh, traffic as, as well. We're also on the uh, commuter rail station. So that's kind of where we were back then. Angie, tell me a little bit about Amesbury. Yeah, so uh, interestingly enough, I was I was only here for barely a month as the community and economic development director before the pandemic hit. So, but having been uh, working for the regional planning agency, I, I knew Amesbury um, and you know got to see some of of the liveliness and the. Um, the vibrancy of the city uh, beforehand. We're, we're a smaller city, a little bit smaller than Newburyport. We're directly adjacent to Newburyport, so we are neighbors, and so we do get. Uh, we have the benefit of getting some of that sea that that sea worthy beach traffic, uh, but are on uh, both the Powwow and the Merrimack Rivers. Uh, we're actually at the the junction of those two. Uh, we're a major mill city or prior mill city. Um, there's are, is still some smaller manufacturing going on, but for the most part, we have smaller niche stores um, and restaurants that actually draw a, a regional 
um, uh, I guess, a regional crowd. You know, people for we are right on the border of New Hampshire, uh, so we do see a lot of New Hampshire folks coming into the city. Um, and so and there's that cross-pollination between us and some of the other communities as well. Um, but, you know, there were a couple of stores closing here and there, but we're seeing that trend across the Merrimack Valley. We see that happen, you know, turnover due to uh, just changes in, in customer and consumer um and consumer trends and, you know, what their, their needs are. But our restaurants are really our stake, our, our, our stakeholders here. They're really the, the, the drivers, the anchors, in my opinion, um, of the city. We also have some really interesting collaborative spaces where old mill buildings were turned into smaller uh, workspaces and they're a variety of mixes. And so those three, there are actually three of them um, and they're actually, there's four now, uh, a brand new one just came up, but mostly office spaces in a couple of them. But then we also have some uh, light manufacturing, uh, food processing, uh, a brewery, uh, artists, um, a, a local kitchen cooperative. So really a lot of interesting, innovative, um, you know, entrepreneurs and solopreneurs Locating here in Amesbury, working in smaller spaces, of course, um, that are, are something that they can go back to. But, um, you know, the, these these uh, have been kind of our keystone projects over the past and developments over the past couple of years as they, they come online. And of course, you know, from extensive news coverage, we know that small businesses are being hit especially hard by the pandemic and that each community's economy is unique. What effects were you seeing specifically in your small business communities and what kinds of businesses are struggling now and, and how severe have those impacts been? How important are those businesses to your city's economy? So I, I guess I'll go first. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we, we are a tourist economy. Um, we have this great downtown, uh, a walkable downtown. So it, and part of that reason is because we have great destinations, uh, local museums. We have a local theater and then our, our retailers and restaurants, and they all pretty much closed uh, when our governor uh, issued the stay-at-home order and only uh, kept uh, essential businesses open. So, um, you know, our retailers pretty much closed up. Our theater is is still closed because we're not at that phase yet that the governor's allowed for, um, you know, indoor musical and theatrical performance. Uh, our museum is just getting online now. Um, we have a, a cut, one of the first custom house buildings uh, ever in the United States, the birth, you know, birthplace of the Coast Guard, um, is one of our communities. So we're just starting that cultural stuff is still on hold. Um, so our restaurants were closed for inside, inside dining, but they did have curbside pickup um, that, that kind of kept them alive um, through, through when, until when uh, the governor opened up restaurants for outdoor dining in June. Um, we also are allowed to do indoor dining. Um, now at a limited capacity, but um, most people are still deciding to eat outside. But, you know, retailers were, were closed for a very long time. You know, a lot of our businesses are sole proprietor. We don't really have a lot of chains here. So who you see when you go into the store, it's, that, that's the shop owner. Um, so, you know, when, we, when, when, the, when the, the stay-at-home order was issued and, you know, a lot of our downtown basically shut down with the, with the exception of some curbside dining pickup. Um, and we definitely started to get very concerned of what that meant for our, our downtown. Um, we, we didn't have a lot of vacancy beforehand. Uh, we were certainly concerned about vacancy going forward and you know, not knowing, still not knowing when we're going to be out of this pandemic. Well, we want to try our best to make sure that all of our retailers and restaurants and even our landlords are supported 
uh, to get through this because we know that if we do have vacancies, it's going to probably be a while before someone's going to want to take that risk and, you know, and, and re-tenant that, that building. I mean, we did do some uh, early on. We, we, we did establish uh, an economic recovery task force that consisted of members of the Chamber of Commerce, our city council and, and uh, local businesses. Uh, we, we did a, a survey in May just to kind of get a, a finger on the pulse of what was happening locally. Um, we were, you know, we had 800 uh, businesses respond to that, which is, a, you know, for a small, we're a community of about 18,000 people. So you can imagine that's a, that's a good vast majority of our businesses, which meant that, you know, they were looking for help. I mean, they, this is the same time they were applying for, for uh, PPP and all the other programs that were available. So we had good data of, you know, at that point uh, early in June of where people were. We did have a couple businesses that felt like they weren't going to make it uh, going into the summer. So we did reach out to them to see what we could do, um, you know, if, if anything. Um, but through that survey work, you know, the CDBG grant that we were able to get, we had quantitative data to show the state that, hey, if, if we got this money, we, we know people, we absolutely know that there, there are people there that need this help that would qualify for the money. Um, but it also allowed us to look into other things as well. And I guess we could probably talk about that a little bit more. I mean, you know, streamlining, permitting for outdoor dining to get to get our, that was, you know, that took a little bit of coordination. Um, there were some uh, loosening from the state level of uh, liquor licensing that allowed us to really open up and do that outdoor dining, which, you know, now that it's been so successful, we're, we're thinking about making it more permanent, um, you know, going forward in the future years. So, um, but, you know, it, it essentially our, our, our local economy was definitely was was really suffering, you know, from from March through June. And, you know, we've been able to safely open over the summer. And, you know, fortunately, our our cases locally have, have, have remained fairly low. Um, we've, and we've been aggressive about, you know, making sure people wear masks and, you know, our health department's been out over the city, making sure that our, our restaurants and retailers are staying safe. Um, we actually, like some communities in Massachusetts, have established a mask zone. So our whole downtown area, including our, our waterfront, we have a boardwalk, uh, is a mandatory mask uh, wearing, whether you're inside or outside. So that's really helped as well. Um, so I guess, you know, it was it, people were hurting, people were confused, people didn't know exactly how they were going to open and how to do it safely. And, you know, five months later, not that we're experts at it, but we certainly, you know, have learned very quickly how to adapt. And that's been that's been the big key is getting everyone on board to adapt very quickly. Angie, in, in Amesbury, um, what was the effect of the pandemic on the small businesses early on? Yeah, so we have quite a few small businesses. I would say about three quarters of our businesses are 10 or few employees. So and many of them being, again, solopreneurs, you know, entrepreneurs, uh, home home occupy, home businesses. So you know, the, but really the impact, you know, when you see the, the way our economy functions is the retailers and the restaurants. We don't have as many museums and, and large spaces as, as Newburyport does as a tourism because it's not really the basis of our economy. But, um, but that's where people, like I said, we, you know, have a kind of a regional following with some of our restaurants. And those are the folks, especially those who couldn't adjust to outdoor dining and takeout quickly, um, did suffer. There were some that didn't open until, uh, gosh, mid middle July. Um, and just to give some perspective, 
uh, around, I think it was June 8th was when we were allowed to do outdoor dining again. So most of our restaurants were doing takeout if they, most, most restaurants were doing takeout if they could. And that wasn't very many of ours, unfortunately. Um, so ju- around June 8th is when we could eat outdoors again, you know, using same safety protocols, six feet apart. So what did that look like? Um, and we can talk about that in the next, you know, as, as we get into kind of our recovery, but, um, and then from there, uh, I think that June 28th, if I if, if I'm if that that date is right, but is when we were allowed to eat indoors. Um, again, very limited. Uh, the capacity is really really limited. <laughs> so many restaurants chose not to do that because it just wasn't worth it to have staff uh, basically staffing, <laughs> you know, uh, hostessing and and seating and and serving people um, indoors. So. It that that really was a, a big function of of the of how things are being how they're struggling right now and how things are are being affected in our businesses and then the retailers also had a, a real challenge too they, they um, even when they weren't allowed to have people in their store some of them were doing curbside but even that was limited and uh, you know folks were still seeing and Matt referenced a survey we've done a couple now uh, one to see what the impacts of the businesses were and what they needed the other was around consumers. And we did that just recently. And still people are are not coming out to eat indoors. They want to eat outdoors. So um, it's it's definitely, it, we're still seeing the effects. It, we haven't seen anyone close their doors yet. So that I'm actually really happy to see that. But there are some people on the hairy edge. And we're glad to see this funding come through and hoping that that's going to be their saving grace to plug the holes that they have right now. You both have already commented a little bit on on some of the um, forward-looking action um, that that folks in Newburyport and Amesbury um, took, recognizing that there was a great need. I, I want to dig a little bit deeper into that. How did your city come together and plan out what you were doing to support your local economy? Tell me who was at the table and what role did planners play in convening and participating in that conversation? Matt, we'll go ahead and start with you. Sure. I guess um, I think the direction came straight from the top. You know, our mayor has been pretty active throughout uh, this whole pandemic, trying to get out ahead, um, really emphasizing um, that residents and businesses follow all the guidelines that are set forth by the, the CDC and then locally through the state. Um, and, you know, when when everything shut down, that was the point where she decided to be proactive and figure out what would happen when we're reopening. Because we really had no idea what was going to happen back then. Um, and, you know, fortunately, we have a very active uh, Chamber of Commerce that, you know, m- much of our businesses are members of. So getting the Chamber of Commerce and uh, we have a ward counselor that, um, you know, his his ward is downtown. Um, so bringing them together and creating this task force was was important. And we did that, you know, fairly early on in, in early May. Um, and then from that task force, we we created uh, these sector groups. So every member of the task force also had a sector group that they were responsible for or several sector groups. So, for instance, you know, I, I led a group of uh, the, our hospitality industry. We don't have big hotels, but we have several bed and breakfasts. So we met with them, kind of talked about what their needs were, what they were seeing. And then once the state guidelines came out for reopening, we talked more about how that meant, what that meant to their business. Um, and how, how we, you know, it was more about an open line of communication. There were some things that the city could do, but there's only so much that we can do as a small community. But we made sure that um, we, when we could help, we, we, we did. 
Um, so that was important. So we had nine sector groups, restaurants, uh, our business park, retailers, nonprofits, uh, places of worship. So we, we, you know, and then we had that survey as well to, to try to make sure we touched on uh, as many local businesses as possible to see how they were doing and figure out ways we could help. Um, you know, as far as the role that planners played in this, you know, you know, my, my title here is chief of staff, but um, you know, prior to this position, I've worked in several North Shore uh, communities in their planning offices. Just previously, I was an economic development planner. So, you know, I think, you know, I was I was there at the table early on, um, you know, wearing my planner cap a little bit and, try, you know, understanding what it means to, you know, how, you know, when you an economic planner, you know, how you, you're kind of the concierge to help them navigate through the bureaucracy and, and, and you know, grants and things that are available um, we also have a very talented planning director as well, who was on the task force. So we definitely had planners involved throughout the process. Um, you know, going back to you know the outdoor dining, um, you know, and loosening of rules. You know, we 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 definitely, from a planner's perspective, we we knew that outdoor dining made a ton of sense. Um, that you know, where previously you may have had some backlash about the loss of parking spaces. You know, we, we already knew what parklets were. We could explain to the city council what it means to have a parklet and that, uh, and that it would be better for everyone. And we could sacrifice a little parking to help our, our restaurants. Um, you know, the loosening of parking restrictions as well for some of those non-downtown restaurants and businesses that had parking fields um, that we could put tables and tents out there and that we could survive without that, that parking. So I think, you know, in some ways, us as planners, we've already know some of the, the best practices that were happening throughout the country, and we were able to apply them um, in this situation. And, you know, it, it really helped our businesses uh, recover and get open. And, and like I said, I think that, you know, there's, if there's any silver lining, we're, we're, we're probably going to be changing a lot of the way we permit and allow outdoor dining and outdoor retailing. Um, and we actually closed for a couple of days couple weekends we closed state street which is our main our main thoroughfare um so you know it, it because we had planners involved i i truly believe that we were able to you know kind of not push the envelope but really apply best practices in a very quick way and angie what was the approach in amesbury so similar to Newburyport, our mayor really led the charge because she was hearing what the uh, her peers around the state were doing. The state itself had developed a recovery task force and many communities followed suit. I shouldn't say many, several communities followed suit, um, two of which I kept in pretty mean contact with um, as we developed our task force, which we ended up calling the Amesbury Business Economic Adjustment Team, Amesbury BEAT. And so Newburyport and Salem are, have been two of the folks, and which is why Matt and I continue to talk so much, but have been my, I guess, partners in crime in a lot of ways on this. I touch base with both Newburyport and Salem on a regular basis about their teams, about their task forces, about the things that they're addressing. Although, again, Salem and Newburyport probably have a little bit more in common than, than we do um, in Amesbury. We're still small cities. Uh, we still deal with a lot of the same issues. 
And, you know, the way that we're approaching this, we as planners, we uh, we like to share, you know, we, we like to help each other because there's no use reinventing the wheel. And so uh, in all three of these cities that I just mentioned, including ours, of course, uh, a planner has led the and is leading the effort. So um, in addition to the beat, um, which is comprised of our health department, our uh, several businesses that we think, again, retailers and restaurants, which I mentioned earlier, which are really our, our capstones here. Um, a couple of large office spaces, because again, you know, we have an, an office presence here. And we wanted to understand better what these larger, more collaborative workspaces were going to look like as the, the regulations and protocols rolled out. Um, a city councilor, which we thought was really key because, again, the connection between our, our, major, our major decision makers, especially as we looked for grants and looked for opportunities to fund and finance and support the efforts of our businesses. Um, obviously, here, the Office of Economic and Community and Economic Development, um, but others that really have played a large role. And again, we as conveners, I felt that this was our role and the, so did the mayor who <laughs> tasked me with with being the, the face of this and, and really the, the, I guess, facilitator. Um, was to also work closely with our DPW, with our fire and police, with inspectional services, uh, with procurement, um, which was going to be really key, especially once we get the grant or once we did get the grant, and and our uh, chief finance officer. So the CFO has been at the table with this as well. Um, but getting the, that background information resolved and addressed, well, addressed just to begin with and then resolved was really key because if they weren't coming along with us throughout the, pro the program and throughout our thought process, uh, we weren't going to be able to achieve things as, as easily as we did. Uh, we were able to really streamline our efforts because we brought these folks along with, with us from the, the get-go, basically since March or April. Um, so, I, you know, it felt like because we, as Matt said, we understand kind of the ins and outs of how these systems work, how permitting works, how, how what what functions all of our departments play. You know, it's funny when a lot of our departments are like, what do you do there in the planning office? And but we all know what they do. <laughs> so we almost have a leg up uh, of any other department in in, uh, in City Hall because we know what everybody's role is. We know how they all work together and we can convene them based on their roles at the appropriate times. And uh, I don't think that there's a better place for or role for us as a convener than um and, uh, and, and especially in this this time, like Matt said, there's so many facets involved with it. So it was exciting to be able to apply all the things that we've we've loved about our jobs in one in one big thing. So the silver lining was definitely there. Planners are able to see that bigger picture view, which is exactly what we need right now in this moment. Talk to me a little bit both about the approaches you decided to take and where did planners play a role in those actions? I think that, um, you know, I said, I mentioned before, you know, I, I have the planning background. We have a, a really strong planning director. And I also should mention that the, uh, the, the city councilor, who is the, the ward councilor of downtown, he's also a planner and practicing land use attorney. So, um, and, it, it, and we also all, I mean, surprisingly, we have a planning board that's comprised of uh, uh, retired planning directors, current planning directors. So, um, you know, Newburyport is, kind of chock full of planners. And I think that comes at an advantage. But, uh, you know, I think the the ability to, I think what Angie said before, that we we have the ability to convene people, to bring them together, to set a process. Um, it was really important to kind of reach out and make sure that 
um, every stakeholder was, uh, we engaged with all the, as many stakeholders as possible through this because we, we don't, we, we're, we're a small, we're a small government. We don't have many, you know, we don't have a lot of resources to help people. We rely a lot on the state and federal governments to provide funding, but, you know, we can do that person to person outreach and really, and, and I think that was really helpful, uh, and, and continues to be helpful throughout the whole process. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I think it's especially important, you know, during these times, that, as Angie said, to have, um, you know, I've always thought planners are kind of jack of all trades. We know a little bit of everything. And that definitely, you know, makes visualizing processes that, you know, they didn't exist before. A lot of the things we tried to do in processes did not exist. So having that brain um, and that training to kind of set it up fairly quickly, kind of uh, anticipate what are the, what were the, uh, restrictions or, or what are the, the pitfalls of different things getting going um, was, was really important. Yeah. And we, we also really understand how to apply some of these protocols and standards that are coming down the line to an urban environment. We have that vision that, that some of our peers and other city departments, some of them do have that. I'm not saying they don't, but it, because of our background and because of the way that we see the landscape and we see our downtowns and we see the way communities should be developed to create a sustainable environment, a, a, a vibrant environment, we could then have that foresight to reprogram public spaces for outdoor dining, um, look at how our we could shift gears for 15 minutes parking spots. You know, where does it make the most sense for those places to be so that it doesn't interrupt traffic? It's safe. You know, how can we you reuse, as Matt said, parklets, you know, how could we reuse parking spaces for that? I mean, most deep, most people didn't even know what a parklet was before this began, despite the fact that parking day has been in, <laughs> as uh, September 19th has been a holiday for planners for many years, but <laughs> it's, it is now a more common term for folks because of the pandemic. And so it's almost bringing to bear some of the great, cool things that planners have come up with that just never became common language. And, um, with that, you know, we also used our ability to, you know, take out the map. Um, we created a map for who was open because there was a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty, especially again, as we talk about people coming out of, of the pandemic, um, out of their homes, I should say, from in the pandemic situation. Many people are not, they're not sure who's even open. So how do we communicate that? And as, as planners, we, d we understand the, the benefits and the importance of communication, um, and then surveys have been a really big thing for us. That, that approach was something that we just needed to have the numbers. Uh, Newburyport has a really high participation rate. <laughs> I don't know how you guys do it. Um, and we try, uh, and we do still get the numbers. It's, you know, and it, it is, they are telling us widely, you know, how to help us make more adjustments with our businesses. Uh, this most recent one, especially on, on consumer patterns and spending and where they're going, what they're not doing, what they are doing, what what they want to see when they come out, you know, re regarding PPP, <laughs> PPE uh, and, you know, business practices, you know, making sure there's social distancing, you know, the, the things that that make them feel safe. And so as planners, we know how to piece all those things together to support what needs to get done. And uh, that's been the exciting thing, again, is, is kind of allowing us to use all those uh, tools from our toolbox. Um, and then the grant funding has been key too. Uh, that's been kind of my, my favorite part because it obviously gives us, 
the juice that we needed to really like the the cherry on the top for this project um, because without that it's it, it it did come down to money you know the support we were providing all along was more moral and programmatic support and now the financial support is really the the cherry on top well, thank you, Angie. That's the perfect segue to my next question. Of course, both the city of Amesbury and the city of Newburyport were awarded $400,000 in emergency community developed block grant funding via the CARES Act, um, which was the first kind of tranche of emergency funding that uh, Congress made available at the end of March. How has that funding been used so far in both communities? And I want to hear what has it meant to your community? Is there a need for more federal support to help put small businesses and others on that pathway to recovery? Angie, why don't we start with you on this one? Sure. So we just launched our application process, but we have been ready, as Matt knows, uh, basically since we submitted the application on June 15th. (laughs) So we started developing all of that and uh, we're really ready to, to hit go um, as soon as we signed the contract with the Department of Housing and Community Development. So that application uh, was launched uh, two weeks ago today, and we've received 12 applications so far um, and quite a few inquiries. So um, so we're still seeing the effects of, of what people are paying for, uh, applying for. Um, most of it's for rent, mortgage, and payroll with some sprinkled uh, technical assistance requests. So things for um, updating or actually developing a web presence. Believe it or not, we still had some businesses out there that didn't have a strong web presence or even a website altogether. And as we know, that's that's going to be 100% needed going forward for businesses to adjust to this. Um, but the provide the funding does provide up to ten thousand dollars for to support those things. So rent, mortgage, payroll, technical assistance. Um, you know, it, there's a need for more, uh, especially I think it needs to be a little bit less restrictive. But we're going to go with what we have for now. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're hearing a lot um, that it's. Unfortunately, the PPE program really hindered a lot of sole proprietors because they were were not eligible um, and other small businesses. But then our program also limits um, to low and moderate income and people under five uh, or less employees. So and only for profit. So you have these limitations that's still creating some holes and some needs. Um, So we're hoping to keep our eye on those things and figure out where there are other either programs or ways that we can fill those holes. Uh, we we were really fortunate to to receive uh, combined eight hundred thousand dollars between both communities. You know, as as we mentioned before, we are we're cities, but you know we're also small cities. We, our populations are both under twenty thousand, and uh, we have limited resources. Um, you know, we have small planning departments that we're already dealing with, you know, working remotely and and doing all the things they're currently doing. So. Um, when the when the grant announcement came out, um, I started looking into it and immediately thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we could, you know, partner with another local city, you know, such as Amesbury? And uh, you know, Angie and I go back, you know, pretty far now. I think you know, seven years or so. Um, you know, and the reason why we met is, you know, just not to plug APA too much, but you know, the reason why we met is because of the social gatherings like uh, the Southern. New England uh, APA conference and things like that. So getting to know your your planners in your state, you know, it was a quick phone call to Angie. She's already been looking at the the application as well. And, you know, very quickly, I think over a weekend, we got both mayors to sign on and, and agree to to work on this. And, you know, we 
and Amesbury had a few more resources than than we did. They had a, a uh, an administrator, a CDBG experienced administrator that they could bring to the table for us. And they're actually administering the grant program on behalf of both communities. And that's something we just couldn't, we didn't have the bandwidth to do it. Um, we had a grant writer. So, you know, our grant writer helped put the application together. So, you know, it was really, you know, because we had a, Angie and I had a good relationship and, and Amesbury, Newburyport are, you know, abutting cities, um, we were able to put this together really quickly. I mean, we were, we, we turned around an application within, a, I think, like a week or two. We were ahead of, the, even extended the deadline, but we were ready to go. And uh, since we, even once we applied for the, for the grant and we hit the ground running and, you know, put together a team to kind of put, you know, put the application together, streamline as much as possible, get the website set up. So, um, you know, we just were awarded the grant, I think, what, a couple of weeks ago. You know, we had to go through our city councils to, you know, tie all the loose ends. But we, you know, we did it as quickly as possible because we knew that, you know, our businesses need the money now. I mean, there was really... We didn't want to get the money and take another month or two to, to figure this all out. We kind of hedged that we were going to get this grant money. And I think the reason why we were able to get it and we got the full amount, too. So which is not what every community got is because we, we teamed up and, and tried to try to figure this all out. Um, so it's great to have this money. I mean, four hundred thousand dollars for our community was we had we had nothing anywhere close to that that we could offer businesses. Um, and we'll work with what the, the strings that are attached with the program, we, we will work within those guidelines. I mean, we know through our survey work that we have, you know, 40 or so uh, businesses that felt that they qualified as a microenterprise income qualified five or fewer employees. So we knew that going into this grant program, we, we had businesses that needed that help. And but there's many more businesses that won't fit into that box and we'll have to figure out other ways to help them out. Um, and, you know, if there's more money coming from the top, from the state and the federal government, there's there's many ways that we could we could spend that money and get it into the hands of uh, our local businesses that that truly need all the help they can get right now. So let's talk a little bit about the other steps that the community has taken and, and what are the results that you're seeing and, and what do you anticipate to see as these funds are deployed to local businesses? We, you know, we did so much. <laughs> it feels like uh, every day. I, I don't know what a regular job would look like without COVID at this point. So that's a, an interesting, and I've heard that a lot from our peers, that their regular work is is not the same anymore. That said, we still do take community development very seriously in, in Amesbury. And so working with our local social service agency, uh, we work to, to find some funding to make sure that homeowners uh, are also protected and that anybody who needs aid for rent or mortgage assistance, food, utility payments, that, that there is a, um, a fund out there to help create some support systems for them because they're, they're also, they're, they're our consumers too. So it's a circle of life. And, uh, but we do want to keep as many of our residents and businesses sustainable here in, in Amesbury. I think early on, you know, when this, when this pandemic, you know, first came upon us, we, we anticipated that there were going to be lots of people that were really going to be hurting. Um, you know, once businesses closed, once schools closed, once, you know, people were at home, caring for their children and um, and then and then rent and more and mortgage and everything. So 
Um, like Amesbury, you know, our affordable housing trust and the mayor created a rental assistance program so that, you know, for income qualified folks in town, um, there is money to recover, so recover up to three months of rent. Um, so that, you know, you know, these are our employees, these are our consumers. So that was important. Um, and we were fortunate to put that together. Um, I'm, I think that the this, this CDBG grant program, you know, the ability to give a business $10,000 is a huge boost to them. Um, you know, that's probably several months of back rent that they haven't um, been able to cover or, you know, any losses in revenue or, or, or payroll that they would need to deal with. And, you know, that not only helps that local business, but it also helps our landlords too. Um, you know, anticipating going forward, we're actually about to do uh, some direct outreach to our landlords. I mean, we were really going straight to the businesses, but right now we also understand that we're going to have landlords that have not had a lot of their tenants pay rent for a long time. Um, and, you know, what are they thinking about? What do they anticipate? You know, what are the, what are they seeing as far as vacancy? Um, so that's, that's something that we'll be looking into as well. Um, you know, we did hire a, a social worker. We have a, a very robust uh, youth services program and they pivoted to, you know, a lot of the, the recreational services that were closed down, they pivoted to focusing way more on, on social services. So that was huge having that social worker make, uh, make referrals to our, other, our, our non-governmental partners. Um, so that was covered by the CARES Act. Um, you know, our senior center was closed. Um, our senior center still is closed, but, you know, we did, we continued doing the Meals on Wheels program. We continued transporting our seniors um, and, uh, you know, our schools as well. We opened up, um, you know, it wasn't just a free lunch program, but it was free meals for the week. So families could go down to the, to the middle school and pick up meals for the week. So, um, you know, it was trying to provide as much direct uh, uh, direct uh, outreach as possible. And, you know, a lot of our residents really and our businesses really rose to the occasion. Um, we had a local uh, uh, toy store that provided uh, 200 gifts to 200 kids uh, in Newburyport, and, um, which was really, you know, in very, in very difficult times to kind of cheer people up. And, you know, we've had over 5,000 uh, gift card donations too that we've been distributing to uh, people that needed them to, you know, our local grocery store or, or what or whatnot. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, it, the pandemic has really helped us come together in certain ways to help each other out, to pick each other up. And, you know, this, this grant program is going to do the same thing. And I think that, uh, you know, in, at least in our neck of the woods, where we are in northern, the North Shore of Massachusetts, I mean, people are really um, following all the guidelines. Like I said, we have this mask zone, but you know, you still have 80 to 90% if you walk down the street of people wearing masks and, and doing the right thing and understanding what it means to, to wear a mask. So, um, you know, I guess what we anticipate going forward is, you know, we had a really, really good summer. Um, you know, we, we are, we have a, a very active Harbor. Our Harbor master said that this is by far the busiest season they've ever had. People who've, you know, had boats or didn't use them. They are now using their boats. So, you know, going forward, that's something we're, we're looking, you know, that'll be a change and that'll certainly help our local economy. And we've we've um, taken on online reservation systems to make it easier to allow people to come downtown by boat. Um, so, you know, pivoting going forward, you know, we've been hold, holding our public meetings virtually through Zoom since from the get go. And, you know, eventually we will have in-person meetings, but, you know, as a planner, I feel like Zoom is, is just a value-added tool 
to allow for for more process, for more participation. I mean, myself, I have two small children at home and I can't make every night meeting, but if I can zoom in in my local community, in addition to having in person, I think that's only gonna help us going forward with, that's always been our struggle is getting people to come up, come out to our public meetings. Um, also looking forward um, as well, you know, transitioning, you know, municipalities are, you know, this, it's still a person to person transactional nature, but we are able, we were able to, um, you know, expand our online services, um, particularly because we're not necessarily allowing a lot of people into City Hall right now. So that's been that's been something that's pushed, you know, pushed us a little bit to, to adapt quick, more quickly. And, you know, this summer has been great um, for our boating, our recreational boating. We still have people coming to town, which is great, which, you know, it's a gift and a curse because we want people to come, but we want them to come safely. So we've, you know, we've kind of struggled through that. Um, but the, the weather has been fantastic for us. We've had, you know, I think it's really helped our local businesses because we've had so many visitors come to town. But the weather will change soon. And what does that mean uh, once winter comes? Um, that's something that we're really starting to look at now. I mean, heat lamps can only help through for Massachusetts, you know, October, maybe November. Uh, what happens then and where will we be in November with, with the pandemic? Are people going to be comfortable going inside right now it's it, why would you go inside because the weather's been so nice so that's something that that we'll be looking into as well in the future angie how about an amesbury i would say in addition to uh a, a similar funds that that matt has talked about and, and a lot of those programs um you know rental assistance as well as uh free meals for those students we're also looking at, uh, and I know Newburyport's done this, so we're following suit with uh, some of our neighbors, but implementing um, online permitting. It's something that I know a lot of communities are looking into, but it really underscored the need for that when um, the pandemic hit and we all had to work from home for a couple of months. So it, it, you know, in addition to it being something that is more remote and allows us to be, to do our work anywhere, it does make it a more efficient and transparent process. And really, to be honest, that's been one of the underpinnings of this entire process is, is transparency and making sure everybody understands what the process is. So it's taught us to communicate better what the steps are that we're doing and to do them. Um, we have a, an amazing communications director who constantly nudges us with and, and prompts us with the right questions to ask and the right things to think about that we need to tell people. So what what is the story How, and gives us those regular bullet points to make sure we're hitting those um, and what to think about, like what from the a resident's perspective. And it's not that we're not thinking about those things, but sometimes you get so excited about telling a story and you may miss out a couple of pieces. And she's really good at, at, at seeing where those gaps are and um, also making an incredible social media online presence, you know, redoing our website. It's really taught us that we were missing some things. We were missing some really big things and, uh, and, and, and maybe that residents and businesses didn't know that they were missing, but now that they're there, they're like, wow, I can't believe you didn't have a newsletter for economic development before, or that you didn't have a Facebook page for businesses, you know, cause we created a new pa a page for them to be able to communicate amongst themselves as well. Um, we also did, uh, Matt had mentioned the industry specific groups and their, he called them sector specific. Those were really key for us 
to under, understand better what restaurants are facing versus what retail businesses or office spaces or um, salons. Salons have really been hit in a in a different way than many of our other businesses because they really only can have one or two people in the salon at a time, and and the salons in our in Amesbury have really been limiting it to one. Um, so that even though they may have multiple services, they are only allowed to have that one service with that one client. And that's a, and they can't sell retail. They can't be open to the the public coming in um, because of the protocols that they have to wash the stations after the. So it's really it, it helped us to adjust a little bit differently on uh, how we talk with them, you know, making sure uh, that if there are specific things that we can help them with, uh, we were thinking about doing some like joint purchasing around um, maybe a laundry service. So it's made us rethink how we can help them work together as well, because they some of them do feel like they're floating alone. We we all we all have our great planners network, and I thank goodness for it because I don't know what I'd do without it. But we I we, I think we take it for granted that we think other industries may have those, and some of them do. But for the most part, creating that family of of not just all the businesses, but the ones that are that have a joint purpose and and um. I guess alignment in their their business model has been really helpful for them so they don't think they're floating alone. I'm hearing from both of you that as the situation continues to evolve and we continue to learn lessons from this pandemic um that we all need to work together to kind of help each other pivot and and prepare and adapt for the future. I'm wondering um what are you doing to help those small businesses prepare for potentially the next pandemic or another um, economic crisis? We we actually made a, a cognizant decision between Newburyport and Amesbury just to, as a you know as a joint uh, thing that we're doing to to bring to bear that these businesses don't shouldn't be thinking about recovery. They should be thinking about bouncing forward. They should be thinking about how to become more resilient. So it's part of the application itself. We ask them specifically. How do you, how is this going to make you stronger? How is funding you right now going to really boost you and not just bring you back to a, a normal? Because it's not normal. It's not going to be a normal. It's going to be a new normal. And we're, we're not going back to the way it was. It's it. And the more we can continue saying that in a gentle way, um, unless you really need to slap them <laughs> about it, but we, we are trying to be gentle about it, but because it's, it is a, this is jarring for a lot of people. So how we can break that news gently but consistently. We need to be um, stronger in a stronger place when we're done with this and that there could be a couple more fits and starts in this, that it, this is an uncertain time, but that the way that we're all working together is is a new model. It is the silver lining. And so uh, it's almost like we need to keep hitting on the silver linings piece instead of how it's affected us and impacted us in a negative way. How has it helped us be stronger as a community, as a business, as a person, whatever level that is that we need to communicate. That's how I've, that's really honestly how I've been getting through too. <laughs> so might as well help people, you know, adjust to what's working for uh, your own self, or at least, at least impart the knowledge on them. If they decide not to use it, that's so be it. But, um, but it is important. We've, we have been talking about that. It's, it's going to be a new normal and we're going to get there eventually. And we're all going to work together to do it. 
So, but they need to reimagine themselves and, and have some innovation. And we're, our doors are open. My phone line's open. My email's open to have those conversations about being on LinkedIn, about being on social media, you know, getting an online presence, you know, thinking about how to adjust what you do. Like there was a salon that, sorry, I keep focusing on those because I just got my toenails done. Um, but <laughs> she mentioned to me that facials are going, are going to be the way of the wind. We're just, we're not going to see facials in the near future because they are so high risk and so like close contact and it's hard. You can't wear a mask as the, you're getting a facial, duh. So uh, how can salons still provide that service maybe by providing the the contents of that facial into a package to sell so that you don't have any variations in the products you're using anymore. It's still that consistent product. And then you create a video on how to use it. And so it's it, this is the innovation I'm talking about. Like that was a brilliant idea. So it's still providing that service. It's just not hands-on. It's, it's providing it in a package. So we're happy to be part of that conversation with people. I'm constantly just wowed and inspired by by how cool these ideas have been. And I want to continue to support them and tell them to keep it up, you know, and we'll share those ideas as we can. But yeah, stronger together for sure. That's perhaps a, a good segue to um, my next question. Disruptive events like COVID-19 pandemic create a lot of challenges for communities, but also provide the opportunity for reimagining and reinventing, as we've just said. What advice do you both have for planners who want to help their communities not just stay solvent, but recover stronger? I guess for, you know, advice for planners, um, I think, it, you know, be, be quick to adapt. Um, I think that I think Angie could say the same thing. I mean, no one, there was no regulations or a handbook of how to handle a pandemic. Um, you know, we, we have a lot, we have lots of education and experience of, you know, planning really spans across all different types of disciplines. And, um, you know, I think that at least in our two communities, we had planners that weren't afraid to kind of pivot very quickly and really begin focusing on what was the most important. Because you know everything is important. Well, everything is important, but also what's more time sensitive, what's more urgent. And I think that, you know, in my conversations with Angie, the sense of urgency to help our our local businesses. I, you know, we both shared that, and you know, that kind of, you know, takes precedent right now. What what is truly important? What is truly time sensitive? And that's kind of how we've managed things here in Newburyport as well. Um, you know, so the ability to kind of you know adapt very quickly, and then once you do that. Um, you know, you have to listen to what, what people want. Um, and, you know, in, in a pandemic, you know, you definitely, you know, we had eight, those 800 people, they were very happy to give feedback to us. And, you know, it's trying to pick out exactly what we can and can't do. Um, you know, we, we're not a, we're not an ATM machine. So, you know, everyone wants, and nor can we just wave a magic wand and take your taxes away, but, you know, we'll listen to you. We'll hear you and we'll figure out ways we can make adjustments. Um, you know, and, you know, because of that feedback, like I said, we, we were able to get this grant funding, which is which is huge for for communities of our size. And, you know, we were able to put teams together and um, you know, we permitted 35 outdoor dining um, setups in, I think, three days. Um, and that was, you know, working with our city councilors and, you know, Zoom out obviously helps get meetings through and, you know, we're able to meet publicly now over Zoom. So, you know, that was a pivot. But getting our licensing commission in there and, you know, they cranked them out and, you know, a couple hours we had uh, 35 new outdoor seating areas for our for our restaurants. And, 
You know, some of these restaurants, like I said, down on State Street, um, our main drag, those buildings are from 1812. And we had restaurants, really nice restaurants, great restaurants that had maybe they only had like six tables. They only seated 15 people inside. So, I mean, if, if not for the outdoor seating and creating the parklets, I mean, I don't I don't know what they would have most certainly would have would have closed shop. So, um, you know, once we you know, once you listen to what the community wanted and, and, and gave a little thought of how we can, you know, how we can provide those services quickly. I mean, that was that was just a great example of the the outdoor seating and you know utilizing our parks. You know, we have a great parks commission here and they and we have a lot of fit, you know, yoga studios, fitness studios that were, you know, they weren't able to open, you know, it's still, you know, until much recently, they weren't even able to have classes inside. And our parks commission said, well, we have great parks. We, here, here you go. You can have space in our parks. Um, you know, we'll, it'll be during the week. It won't be in our busiest times, but you can have these, you know, for, for fee, you can continue charging your, your fees of how, however you do for your classes and you can be outside and we'll waive the normal fees as well. So that way you could have it for free. So, I mean, that, 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 you know, our, our planning director, that was his, um, that was his sector was the, uh, was the fitness and recreation folks. So um, I guess the, uh, the advice is to, you know, pivot very quickly, listen, and then figure out ways to execute and do it quickly. And it's been very, you know, it's a, you know, maybe a little bit more seat of the pants than by the seat of your pants than what we're more comfortable with, but that's kind of what the, you know, kind of rising to the occasion and, and you know, doing what, what was necessary during these times. Angie, any thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, I'll, I'll uh, reiterate a previous comment because I think this is important too, is we, we do need to keep beating that drum that we're not going back to a new normal. We're going, we're not going back to the way it was. We're going, we're moving to a new, a new economic model, a new social model, uh, a new environmental model in a lot of ways too. Uh, this this pandemic has created a lot of waste. Unfortunately, it it rolled back some of our plastic bag bans and things that we were really proud of and in making um, some major uh, progress in cleaning up our environment. So um, it's it it's remembering that keeping those things in mind, the commitment to those things, and figuring out how we can use our innovative, cool, you know, imaginative brains as planners to get past these things and how do you you bring the community along with you it's let's not it's yes we want those things back and we can do those things but how can you work with your community to to do them creatively i I actually mentioned that to our dpw director Uh, one of the things that is recommended for our restaurants is to use single serve uh, plastic ware instead of for anything not just for takeout but also for dining in and uh, outdoor dining and my heart jumped out of my chest when I heard that thinking, oh my God, how much waste we're going to be creating with all this stuff. Like we just made so much progress. So, you know, it's, it's some of these ideas can be passed along to your, to the department heads. Um, so that, cause they're not things that we're all going to be able to solve as planners, but the fact that we're thinking about these things, pass them along to the right people, use this as an opportunity to continue or even revitalize relationships with whether it's department heads or, some of your um, your community leaders. Uh, I know for, again, for our social service agencies, that's been a great opportunity to revitalize some discussions around 
um, food security, around rental assistance, uh, you know, working with folks like our Community Action Inc. Um, and our Salvation Army. Um, so this has been that, and, and that, luckily we have a relationship with them, but this is my opportunity to almost insert myself too, because I haven't even met some of them yet. <laughs> so it's, uh, there are so many opportunities to, to, in this world right now. And I think it's, it's about making those connections. I think another big one was around, um, councils on aging because the seniors have been affected uh, as well in this because many of them are living alone or, you know, still afraid to come out. And so we've been doing Zoom calls with them and promoting what plant the planners are doing here at City Hall for our businesses and for our community still. So use this as an opportunity to do the outreach because they are participating in these in these uh, in these forums. They're using Zoom and go to meeting and um, obviously a phone call is still not a bad thing. So <laughs> Um, but since we're tied to our desks, for the most part, uh, I think my bigger takeaway would be let's let's take the opportunity to continue to reach out. Uh, let's not think that it's just, a, you know, a, a conveyor belt of work all the time. Well, I'm feeling incredibly inspired by both of you. Thank you so much for taking time. I, I have one final question for you, and that's for our listeners at home who I'm sure at this point want to hear more about your work, both in Newburyport and Amesbury. How can they learn more about what you're doing? Our website, our main page is amesburyma.gov. And we, everything that I just spoke about for the business economic adjustment team, our back to business program, any of our social service work, it's all on the main page and the grant. And Newburyport is cityofnewburyport.com. Um, once you're there, you'll see we have a COVID page, we have an economic recovery page, and you know we, we, we're linked to Amesbury's page as well for the grant program. And you know we also have social media as well. We have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, yeah, those are all. And LinkedIn, we're on LinkedIn as well. So that's actually me that does all that as well. So you'll be talking directly to me if you want to reach out over social media. And I know folks will be. <laughs> yeah, and we also have Twitter, uh, I apologize, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Well, you heard it at home, everyone. You can contact uh, both Angie and Matt in a number of ways to learn about the incredible work that they are doing. Um, and I'm sure we'll all be watching to see how this continues to play out. Um, I want to thank you both for taking time to talk with me today. It's um, been so energizing and just exciting to hear about the good work that's going on in, in your communities and um, a good reminder that planners are so essential to the economic recovery work that's happening across the country. And, and we're lucky to have you two as members. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks so much.